Well, hello, everybody. We are back for another special uh, Behind the Headlines, Israel-Hamas at War. We're bringing you some shorts here from the Jew and Gentile podcast. Joining us is not only the Jewish sage himself, the one and only Mr. Steve Herzig, but also our good friend, Ty Perry, who is our field ministry manager. He works, ministers with Steve and I here at Friends of Israel, uh, and he helps oversee all the outreach that's going on in the United States with the Friends of Israel. So, Steve, great to have you. Ty, great to have you. Good to be Thanks here. Thanks for having me, guys. Yep, we're glad you're here with us, Ty. And I want to start off right away. You've had access to some college campuses, and they're in the news all the time, and uh, how frightened many uh, Jewish students are. And so you've got the heartbeat of a couple of different uh, universities. I'd, I'd like you to start off by sharing... Uh, First, who you contacted and what information uh, you've gotten. Sure. Well, um, one of my friends, Matt Kramer Morning, is the director of Hillel, a big student organization at Purdue University. So I reached out to him uh, recently for an interview on my podcast. And I just talked to him about what students are feeling and facing at the uh, university campus there in Indiana. And I was actually pleased to learn that things have been pretty quiet there for them. Um, they were one of the, the schools where the administration actually has uh, stood up for Jewish students, called out anti-Semitism. Um, he said that the administration has been in close contact with Hillel and other Jewish student leadership to see what they need, how they can help them and, and help the students there to feel safe in the wake of the war. Um, Having said that, he said, you know, there are there are protests, there are um, people on campus who are pro Hamas, uh, and that's alarming to students. But uh, by and large, things at Purdue have been pretty quiet uh, compared to what's happening at other universities throughout mm-hmm. the country. Yeah, and that's uh, it's good to hear that you're connected to a university there that supports Israel and the Jewish people is calling out the anti-Semitism because we know that there are some huge Ivy League schools like Harvard, Columbia, NYU um, that have kind of kept kind of a a low key perspective on the the trying to draw morality. You know, this is uh, as equal to Israel's you know war against Hamas and Hamas against Israel. Uh, they they don't want to draw the line in the sand of what is um, evil and what is good. They just want to kind of keep it uh, you know even for all of the uh, all of the students. When in reality, they're creating I think a mess for themselves by doing this. Um, I do know that Brandeis University recently called out and and even uh, closed one of the chapters for the Palestinian um, I was student shocked, groups. Chris. I was, I was mm-hmm. shocked in a good good way. I was shocked and thankful uh, because, it, it, you know, it, it seems to me it's like a soccer match or basketball or football. Well, a thousand people die here, and then they measure how many die on the other side without estimating why the first blow was given in the first place. Right. And that's a problem because when you see CNN and NBC and uh, they just, that's what they tell you, the numbers. But we want to go behind the numbers and, and talk about uh, how this happened. What what do we know about Gaza, Chris? I mean, they're in Gaza. Yeah. And everybody talks about Gaza. What, well, what is it? How big is it? What, 
Is there biblical history behind it? What do we know about Gaza? Can I say something? The word I was looking for was moral equivalency. They're trying to draw a moral moral equivalency between Hamas and and Israel, these college campuses. I also want to add this, too, before we get to Gaza, is that Ty Perry is the host of the Gesher podcast, which is actually connected to FOI Equip. Um, And so if you're interested in hearing in more depth these interviews that Ty is doing, you can go to FOI Equip. Dot org and under the Jew and Gentile podcast is the Gesher podcast. So and he's been going longer than we have. Oh, he's the pro. <laughs> I mean, how long have you been going, Ty? Uh, since twenty twenty. Yeah, during he, he's COVID. the man. He's yeah. the man. He he's the the original, the OG when it comes to Friends of Israel podcast here. That's the first time I've been called an OG. So you are an OG, my that. friend. You're an OG. But see, here's the deal: is that Ty brings podcasts to a scholarly level. Steve and I bring it down to like the uh, what would you say, Steve? I don't even know. Uh, uh, I don't, don't don't pin me down. <laughs> we we're good hearted. How's that? That's right. We're good hearted. We want to get info in. We're not telling you it's intelligent info. Info unless Ty Perry is. On. That's right. Our 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 um our intentions are pure. So uh, yeah, we want to talk about uh, Gaza because here's Steve. Uh, you know, Ty and Steve. I don't know if you've been getting this, but I've gotten several phone calls from pastors from individuals saying, here's the deal. I need to know what's going on with Gaza. What's the history of Gaza? You know, how did we end up in this place? Give me, they say, just give me a timeline. I just need a timeline. And some of it comes from, I've got a a family member who's supporting the Palestinians and they go, I need a timeline to be able to say, maybe you should think differently about this. So we put together a timeline for you that actually, Steve, it goes back to biblical times. Oh man, Samson. Was in Gaza. That's right. <laughs> Samson. He couldn't see too well but when he was there, but but he was in Gaza. Uh, there's all kinds of... J- Joshua, uh, the inheritance of Judah, Gaza with its towns and villages, we're told in the book of, of Joshua. Uh, and so, and Amos, uh, chapter 1, it says, Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Gaza, and for four I will not revoke the punishment. And so... We know about the cities of Gaza. Uh, in fact, there are five Philistine cities. Which? What were the names of those cities? Yeah, fortunately, you wrote them down for me, which is uh, great. Thank good. you very much. Uh, it's Gaza, of course, uh, Ashdod, Ashkelon, Ekron, and Gat, or Gath. And what's interesting is that today in Israel, Ashdod, Ashkelon, I believe Ekron, uh, and I think Gath as well um, are all in Israel. I've not been to Gath, but I have been to Ashkelon and Ashdod. That's right. Have- and if you're watching the news, oftentimes you'll see that the reporters reporting on southern Israel are staying in Ashdod or they're staying in Ashkelon because it is very close to Gaza. Um, but these are actually big Israeli um, towns, cities. And they're uh, right on the water. They're right, beautiful. I go there to the beach sometimes with our origins group to Ashdod Beach and Ashkelon Beach. Uh, but um, the, the thing that's interesting about Gaza in history is that there was a major highway system that ran up and down the, the eastern coast of the Mediterranean. It was called the International Trunk Road. That's what scholars have called it. Some call it the Via Maris. And that ran from Egypt all the way up to basically uh, the Silk Road, which went all the way up um, into Mes- beyond Mesopotamia, beyond even up into Turkey and things of that nature. It was a highway. And so if you wanted to get from Egypt all the way to Persia or to, to Greece, 
you had to go through this major highway system, and that highway system went through Gaza. Gaza is a very important strategic part of uh, the southern part of Israel because it's the flattest area, especially in ancient times. It's a very flat area where people could could easily traverse from Egypt. It isn't until you get up to the Carmel Mountain range that you have to begin to move inward in Israel. They could walk that coast the whole way up, but Gaza has had a very strategic uh, important part of history in Israel for a very long time. But it hasn't always had this many people. There's two million people in Gaza. Do do we have any idea how two million people got into—well, first of all, what's the size? Ty, do you have uh, any idea what the size of Gaza is? You know, it's about 25 miles uh, long, um, so a pretty, pretty small— piece of real estate. Um, I don't know exactly how wide it is, but it's it's a, called a strip for a reason. It's, it's, it's yeah, quite it is small. called a strip. It's no more than five or six miles. Depend, it's it's not perfectly straight, but it's about, about five miles or so. And so we're talking about a, a, what probably in modern times has been an area of land that I don't want it. You could have it kind of land. Yeah. The Philistines did control Gaza and that area for a very long time. They did, you know, that was always a part of the battle between Israel and the Philistines was that part of the land because God did give it to Joshua. Uh, but um, you're right. Um, for a long time, people, it, it was important for the highway system, but it's not like there were 2 million people living in it. It became a very, uh, it, it started to swell later in history. Well, in modern, semi-modern history, the Turks had it. It wasn't that populated when the Turks had it. Great Britain had it, uh, occupied that area. Uh, and then Egypt had it. Yep. Uh, and each, nobody did anything with it. Um, and that all happened very quickly. So if you're thinking about the time period, let, we can go back to 1517. Between 1517 and 1917, the Ottoman Empire had control of pretty much all of Israel and the Gaza uh, all, all that you see in Israel and even the uh, Jordan itself, all of those countries were a part of the bigger Ottoman Empire. It didn't Empire. make the news, though. It was not in the news. No, nobody, Gaza, there was no split. That's there right. There was nobody dividing these things up. That's right. That's right. And then what happens is in 1917, uh, the Allies defeat the Ottoman Empire. They, uh, they, they defeat that whole system, and uh, they end up starting to portion off par parts of the land. And that's when the British assume control of what's, what's called a mandate Palestine, British Palestine. The British take control of the Holy Land, which includes Gaza at that time. So between 1917 and 1948, the British have control of Gaza. But then in 1948, something interesting happened, Steve. The War of Independence. And in the War of Independence, Egypt went north. Uh, there were five countries that attacked Israel, but Egypt went north. And they thought they were going to be able to go up the coast and around, but they got stopped, which to me, Chris and, and Tahi, think about it. There are 650,000 total Jewish people, not their army, 650,000 citizens of Israel. Five nations attacked them. Mm -hmm. And the best that could happen, which uh, I only know stories from Zvi, we've had uh, uh, um, his granddaughter on with us, Yael, but the best they could do was go up north the coast, and they got stopped. And they were able to hold that part, Gaza, 
uh, after the war. So they they were stuck there, Egypt, that little strip. That little tiny strip, that's right. But then what happens is after 1948, Egypt takes control of Gaza. Yes. So really quick, the history again. Ottoman Turks control it between 1517 and 1917. Between 1917 and 1948, um, the British control it. And then between 1948 and 1967, the Egyptians control it. So let's just rewind and tie. Please speak into this if, if, if you have anything to say. But I don't hear anything about any Palestinians in there. This is you. Nope. There's no Palestinian government. There's no Palestinians living in Gaza that are that are controlling Gaza. It's Ottomans. It's the British. It's Egypt. Correct. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Interesting, though. Let me just go back a little. 1929, Israelis or Palestinian Jews, they were called Palestinians at the time. They want to develop the area. Do you think beach? That's a Jewish thing. They, they want beach prop. They want to put a kibbutz there. They want, and and they're the, beautiful beaches. That's the thing. They're beautiful. amazing, honestly. But the pushback by Arabs at that time, any time there seems to be success, the Jewish people want to do something with it. Boom! There's trouble, and the British kicked them out. Yep. In 1929, and we're gonna see that kicking out or removing Jews from the area. Uh, has become a good part of Gaza history. Big time. Uh, that will uh, come later on. We'll talk about 2005 That's in a right. moment. Uh, Ty, I, I don't want you to feel left out. I know you're in your car in Michigan right now as you're talking to us. I, I don't know if there's anything you want to add. Well, as we look at the history, you have to just, it, it becomes abundantly obvious that the current war in in Israel has really nothing to do with Gaza. I mean, this is where the the militants are right now. That's where Hamas is. But uh, as Steve said, you had five nations, Arab nations that came against Israel when they didn't even have anything to do with Gaza. And so this is about uh, the the Hamas and the Arab nations not wanting any Jewish state in the Middle East. And Gaza just happens to be the latest front in that war. But I think that's important for us to keep in mind. Wouldn't you know that the words of wisdom would come crashing through through Ty? He does a great job of (laughs) 100%. 100% right. So so let's. what happens uh, in 1967, Chris? Yeah, this is the Six-Day War um, when uh, Egypt, Jordan, Syria, Lebanon, I believe even uh, Saudi Arabia and Iraq were involved in in trying to push Israel into a sea, uh, into the sea. Um, and so, again, they were outnumbered. I think they were outnumbered 10 to 1 during the Six-Day War. And so it was, again, another fight for their survival, for their existence. Fair, Be fair, it was a preemptive strike. That's I, true. And Israel, that was a very—it's very important to the history. We need to— Say it. That's true, because that'll play out again in 1973 when they did know something was going on, but they didn't do anything. The opposite. The opposite, which created even, uh, I think, a greater catastrophe for them in the 73 Yom Kippur War. But anyway, if you go back to 1967, Steve's right. Israel did do a sneak attack on the Egyptians in the south because they had all of their tanks lined up and all of their infantry basically, it looked like they were ready to storm Israel. No question. So they moved in. So instead of it... Israel going into the sea, which is what they were expecting, Israel actually pushed the Egyptians all the way back and took the entire Sinai Peninsula, which included the Gaza Strip. They pushed back the Jordanians and took the West Bank, which is Judea, Samaria. 
And then they also pushed back the um, the Syrians and took the Golan Heights up in the north. And what did they do with it? Chris, what did they do with it? I think this is important. Yeah. Nothing was done when Egypt had it. Virtually nothing. What did Israel do well, with it? They begin to develop cities and they begin to develop towns and they begin to develop an agricultural uh, um, economy and a horticultural economy down. You're talking about in Gaza, yeah. down well, in Gaza. Even in Sinai. Oh, in Sinai. Oh, later, yeah. later, when the negotiations happened and they gave back uh, the Sinai, they gave back two or three oil wells. Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> they gave back oil wells. That's right. For peace. For peace. For peace. That's right. And, in addition to businesses, I, I'm not going to start a business in Sinai, nor would I start one in Gaza, to be honest. No, but, but there that's are people, what they did. There are people who tell me back in the day when they went on Israel trips, there was a point where you could actually you land in Tel Aviv, do the whole biblical tour, and then without even having to change passport, you know, go through check uh, checkpoints, you just go right to the Sinai or to um, Mount the, the Sinai. Not I say peninsula, but to the mountain, uh, the yep. mountain. Mountain of Sinai, where you know God gave Moses the law, and you weren't even changing countries; you just exactly. were able to go right down in there. They which is amazing. They developed it, but they gave back uh, the Sinai to Egypt in the name of peace. But they they kept they actually offered Gaza to Egypt. You know, I don't know if you know that Egypt said you could you have, have it. it. You yeah. could keep it. You could keep it. That's what Jordan did about the West Bank as well. They were, you know, are we going to exchange this for peace? And even the king at that time and Jordan said, I don't really, I don't want it back. I just want you to create a state for the Palestinian people. That was his, yeah. his desire, but he didn't want that land back uh, either. So, so we've got Gaza and we've got the Jewish people in Gaza and they're developing it. There's businesses. There's about 8,000 Jewish people who go into Gaza when there wasn't a lot of infrastructure. And they said, we pioneers. We have that spirit. We're going to do it. And they do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they build it. They, like I said, they build an, an entire economy down there. They build homes. They build lives. Some of the Israelis lived in Gaza for 40 years, the moment that it opened up in 1967. Like you said earlier, there had already been Jewish communities there for a long, long time. It's not like they just appeared in 1967. You know, it goes back a long ways where Jewish people were a part of what was going on in Gaza. Then between 1967 and 2005, this is important. So let's rewind again. 1517 to 1917, Ottoman Turks control Gaza. Between 1917 and 1948, the British control Gaza. Between 1948 and 1967, the Egyptians control Gaza. Between 1967 and 2005, the Israelis have authority over Gaza Strip. And Ty, what happens in 2005 at Israel's insistence? Well, they disengage from Gaza, which doesn't just mean Explain they're not going to uh, pull military out or something. But they're they're taking out troops and what are called settlers or Israelis who live in that land. And so they leave uh, all that infrastructure that you just talked about, all those businesses, the, the greenhouses, the factories, they, they leave it all there, hand it over to the Palestinians because they keep saying land will result in peace. And uh, we find out that's not true at all, but it's all handed over to the Palestinians in Gaza. Chris, I, I can't take this. They. They're giving them a business. <laughs> People are looking for careers. They hand them. I, literally, I remember watching a news uh, uh, feed on TV at that time in 2005 where they 
uh, leave, and Ariel Sharon calls his soldiers to remove fellow Jews out of there, and they hand them the keys to business. Who wouldn't like that? It's like handing a McDonald's to, hey, you want a McDonald's? Here's the key. Yeah, here's the franchise. Take it. Make yeah, the best of it. That's right. Zygazunt. Just make your own life here in Gaza. And this is, this is really important. So, again, not to confuse people with the history, but the Oslo Peace Accords that were developed in the early 90s was designed uh, to was designed to give the Palestinians the ability to show the world that they were capable of having a state. Um, and they worked to that end. Um, but the problem is every time they go to show that we have the ability to, to create a state, then an intifada pops up. And there's uh, so, of course, Israel, because of security, has always been reluctant to give um, the Palestinians the keys to all of the West Bank because of the security threats that are there. That was built in to the Oslo Peace Accords for the Israelis. But this is interesting because in 2005, Ariel Sharon, the prime minister, he actually disengages unilaterally. That means there, there's no communication with the U.N. There's no communication with the United States. It's just the Israelis say, we're going to pull 8,000 Israelis that have been living there, some of them for 40 years, and out of their of homes. And some of them crying and kicking their feet and getting dragged out of their homes by Israeli soldiers. 100%. And they said, we're going to give this to the Palestinians to show the world that they are capable of of developing it's like giving a kid you like you said here this is your opportunity to, to show us you're a man now build something from this and what what ends up happening is the complete opposite it's the complete opposite well they're two of their big things that they had at the time they had a airport they also had a fishing industry the airport ended up being used for smuggling armaments in the fishing industry which was a main thing and st there would certainly be some people who fished, but there are other ways to smuggle uh, arms in. And so what could Israel do <laughs> where we want them to run their business and they're they're accumulating arms? And that's so frustrating because the whole idea is free, free the Palestinians. Well, what do they do in 2007? Yeah, that's the big thing is that they end up having an election. Ty, maybe you want to speak into this election a little bit that was that was held in 2006, 2007 with the Palestinians. This becomes quite interesting and really defines the direction of where we are today with with Gaza. They voted their destiny, right, yes. Ty? Yes, they did. You think about the, they have all this infrastructure now they've been given by Israel they they destroy that physically they destroy that and then they have the option to essentially have a state by electing their own their own people into power and uh, they do what you know any sane person would do they elect terrorists <laughs> to govern them so oh, I, had I, a joke. I, I, the guy's I, a comedian too i don't have a lot of sympathy for for this whole uh you know i i feel bad certainly for palestinians who are suffering but at the same time when you elect people into office who are their whole purpose is to destroy your neighbors not to benefit you uh, it's not going to be a good future for you no 100 percent. and you know the other thing too that i don't think most people realize is that in if, if you keep up with politics right now in the world that we live in the west bank is different than gaza they are right. two separate worlds but in 2006 when they were doing these elections 
In 2006, they were unified. Gaza and the West Bank were to be governed by the exact same people, the exact same party, the exact same government. So when they had these elections, they were very surprised. The world was surprised. I remember George W. Bush was surprised because what happens is they thought that the more moderate president of the Palestinians would get elected again. And he didn't. He lost. He lost the election. Hamas won in the West Bank and in Gaza, which created a Palestinian civil war. And ultimately, that president, who's still president today, President Mahmoud Abbas, he sat there and said, by presidential decree, I'm still in charge. So he takes in charge. He takes charge of the West Bank. And in Gaza, they start throwing, killing his the Hamas start killing his members of the party they, in Gaza. There was civil war. There, there was, was civil war going they're on. They're fighting amongst themselves. And so we have this group called Hamas, uh, and Hamas is rated, uh, rated by most of the West as a terrorist group, as Ty just told us. And what is there in their charter? Their, their charter says what? Do you know, Chris? Oh, it, it quotes the Hadith, I, I believe. I don't know if it's the Quran or the Hadith, but it, I believe it's the Hadith that talks about the fact that, that uh, we're going to kill any Jews. Even the trees and the rocks will cry out, hey, there's a Jew over here. You should come kill him. That's in, I, I don't know what part of the charter it's in, but ultimately their main theme, their main mission is not to govern the Palestinian people. It's to eliminate Israel. That is their goal. And Jewish, that's the other part too. Not just the, hey, we're resisting this country. It's to kill Jewish people. It doesn't matter where you are. You could be in the land or out of the land. You're in an infidel. So yeah, that's right. And and Ty, uh, you know, I Chris asked me on our regular podcast, the Jew and the Gentile. He asked me how I felt as a Jewish person. Uh, I live in America. I'm still Jewish, just because I'm a believer doesn't remove what I am. And I know you have a, a a relation, at least a couple relationships, I think, with some rabbis, but one of which. You kind of wanted to get a feel for uh, the Jewish community. Do you have any insight into that? Yes. My friend Rabbi Felipe Goodman is the uh, lead rabbi at Temple Beth Shalom in Las Vegas. One of the, I think it's the largest synagogue there. And I asked him, what, what are your congregants feeling right now? And he said, you know, what we did is we had uh, some, some solidarity events and I had print or he had printed up a thousand yard signs to say, I stand with Israel for his congregants. And he said, Ty, the funny thing is, you know who took them all? Christians. He mm. said, because my people are fearful that it will cause them to be attacked. So I thought that was interesting. First of all, I'm, I'm glad that Christians are taking them and saying, we're not, we're not afraid to stand with the Jewish people. But it illustrates pretty clearly how what's happening in Israel is not about just Israel. This is about, as you said, uh, anti-Semitism. This is a hatred of Jewish people, whether they live in the Middle East or they live in Las Vegas, Nevada, or wherever they may be. Uh, that's the fundamental underlying current here is a hatred of, of the Jewish people. And that was made very evident in uh, in Rabbi Goodman's exercise of trying to give these signs out to his congregants. And I really appreciate that because it doesn't matter if you're for if you're Jewish and you're LGBT or you're Jewish and you're uh, for abortion and you're for Black Lives Matter and you're for, you're the the people who are pro-Palestinian, they don't care. There is no intersectionality it, when it comes it, to this situation. They don't. They, all they Not know. Gaza, all they know is sure. you're Jewish. 
And well, and then to that point, one one friend of mine, he said, you know, I he's he's more liberal, and he said, I've been doing all this interfaith work for years with with Muslims and and more liberal Christian denominations, and he said, and now that my people are in trouble, no one's helping me. Mm, that which is, is pretty the alarming bottom line. That is that's alarming. a great point. That that's really significant. Hey, can I read something to you guys? I, I wrote this in uh, in my book on Israel always because I think it's interesting. It's what Hillary Clinton had to say about the disengagement when Israel left. Uh, I wrote this on The Daily Show with Jon Stewart, the comedian and political commentator, questioned then-Secretary of State Hillary Clinton on the abysmal status of the Gaza Strip. And her her response struck at the heart of the Middle East conflict. She said this, You know, when Israel withdrew from Gaza, they left a lot of their businesses. There was a really very valuable horticulture business that was set up by the Israelis who had lived in Gaza. And the idea was that the that this would literally be turned over money that was provided, that they would give money to the Palestinians. There, there would be a fund that would train Palestinians in Gaza to do this work. And basically, the leadership said, we don't want anything left from Israel and destroyed it. That mentality, she said, is hard for me to deal with. And I really think that cuts at the heart of the Hamas-Israeli conflict. And this, remember, bear in mind, this... This is coming from a Democratic individual. I've always said to people back, even when Trump and Clinton were racing, you know, what do you think about Israel uh, with the Democrats? What do you think about Israel with the Republicans? I said, quite honestly, I think the Clintons have been burned by the Palestinians so many times, literally burned by them, that they don't have any more um, compassion uh, for their for their politics or anything. But I really think it cuts at the heart when she said this. We don't want when she says that the the Hamas is saying and Palestinians saying we don't want anything from Israel. Even when Israel gives you the keys to the land and then on top of that gives you the bonus packages of the money and the resources and the tools and the businesses and all of these things, they still burned it all to the ground to turn it into a a rocket launch uh, um, location to launch rockets into Israel. That's what Gaza is right now. It is a rocket launch facility to target Israel and the Jewish people. Ty, you get the last word. Well, well, just to that point, you know, Hillary Clinton, uh, even just in the last couple of weeks, she was asked about a ceasefire. And she, I'm not quoting her, but she said to the effect that that means the destruction of the Jewish people. I don't find much in common with Hillary, but I think a, a broken clock is right twice a day. And when it comes to Israel, uh, so far, she's pretty good. So I appreciate I appreciate even someone I would disagree with on most things, uh, having some pretty clear-eyed vision on the situation in Gaza. Well, and that's creating a big situation. Again, we're not a political organization, but it is creating a situation in the Democratic Party. It's splitting the party in half um, on what to do with right. Israel. But the good thing, uh, that, but on the other side of the aisle, the Republicans seem pretty um, uh, uh, unified in their approach to Israel. And so uh, this is kind of a little brief history. Oh, there's so much more oh, to Gaza. So much more. Chris, tell them how they can access the intellectual tie. Yeah, if it, you, it, yeah the, the, the better podcast. Yeah, if you need a break from the Meshuggah here on the Jew and Gentile <laughs> podcast, you can go to foiequip.org and you can listen to Ty's podcast, the Gesher podcast. Ty, tell us again who you just interviewed and what people will hear when they when they get to the Gesher podcast. So right now, if you go on there, you can listen to several different interviews uh, for the past few years about uh, the Israel-American uh, relationship, relationship between the evangelical and Jewish communities. 
But then recently I'm interview I have been interviewing and, and will continue to interview um, Jewish voices here in the US. I'm also interviewing some Israelis who are living there right now about what they're facing and how they're responding to the, uh, the crisis there. So uh, some good conversations with, with different Jewish leaders in the Jewish community about um, just the various facets of, of this conflict and how it's impacting them and the people they serve. That's great. Hey, be sure to go to foiequip.org. There you can listen to the Gesher podcast. You can subscribe for the Gesher podcast there. And hey, while you're there, if you're just tuning in for the first time to the Jew and Gentile podcast, you can like and subscribe that. And Steve is holding up the mug on a mug. You can be sure to go to go, go to, go to, go to. I can't even get it out. Go to go foi dot org forward slash mug and there if you give a donation of a minimum of ten dollars we hope you give more you're helping uh expand the ministry of the friends of israel uh to serve and minister to jewish people especially during this very difficult time so again that's go foi dot org forward slash mug on a mug hey everybody uh we'll have more of these shorts coming out and uh we'll be talking more about the war ty thanks so much for being with us thank you chris thanks steve thanks